Hello, welcome to the future of feeling. I'm Caitlin Ugalik Phillips. I am your host. I'm a writer, editor, communications professional, and person who's just generally obsessed with the way tech impacts us as humans, our bodies, minds, relationships, culture. As you may know, if you're listening to this, I'm the author of a book called The Future of Feeling, Building Empathy in a Tech-Obsessed World. It came out in early 2020, right before the COVID-19 pandemic threw many of us into a huge social experiment. For a lot of us, it was about living life almost fully online, while a subset of society goes out and fights a battle for all of our lives. Heavy stuff. There will be some of that in the show, but what I really hope you walk away with from each of these interviews is some knowledge about tech, but also a little bit of hope. I'm going to be talking to developers, CEOs, data scientists, people who are really on the front lines of what tech is going to look like in our near future, and therefore what empathy is going to look like in our near future. So before I jump into my interview with Aaron Washington, co-founder of a company called Embodied Labs, just want to let you know you can find out more about me and this podcast and my book at CaitlinUgalik.com. That's K-A-I-T-L-I-N-U-G-O-L-I-K.com. And you can find a way to contact me there as well if you have any questions or suggestions for the show. So in today's show, like I said, I talked to Erin Washington. She's co-founder and chief product officer at Embodied Labs. This is an immersive training platform for folks who work in healthcare, particularly with people in assisted living facilities or folks that have specific disabilities that um, Embodied Labs can allow you to kind of simulate um, using their virtual reality products. Um, What does this mean and what does it have to do with empathy? So I'm going to set this interview up with a quick story to give you an idea of what we're talking about here. So a few years ago, I attended a tech conference in New York called Games for Change, where I got to test out a virtual reality program that lets you get a small taste of what it's like to have macular degeneration. This is vision loss in the center of your field of vision. It's a really common condition among older people, and it was kind of like I got a little glimpse of what my own vision might be like in 40 years. In the simulation, I had to move through a grocery store while only being able to see the edges of everything. I only had the edges of my vision, and it was really hard, even just for the few minutes I spent in that virtual reality simulation. Now, imagine you're working with folks who have macular degeneration, um, or maybe they have hearing loss or dementia. Do you think getting a little taste of what that experience is like might make you a more empathetic caretaker? Some people say yes, some say not so much. And actually, there's a little bit of research that shows when people do simulations like this, they sometimes report having less empathy because they're like, that wasn't so bad. Of course, you do get to take off the virtual reality headset and someone who actually has, say, macular degeneration doesn't. So Erin and her team at Embodied Labs They have some data to suggest that when it comes to the kind of healthcare workers they work with, the results of this kind of tech can actually be really remarkably positive. What they do there is create composite experiences based on real patients, and they even give them names, like Beatrice. So I interviewed Erin's co-founder and sister, Carrie Shaw, for my book, and I was really excited to get to talk to Erin 
who, as I said, is the company's chief product officer. Here's our conversation. Well, I'm excited to talk to you, um, and yes, I love talking. To talk to I love talking to Carrie, and it was great having her for the book. And then I've thought about her work so much in the past, you know, couple of years, and yours as well. Um, and so, like I said, I'm kind of doing this. I'm trying to sort of relaunch now that, well, you know, now we have Delta and yeah. Delta Plus, but things aren't, you know, shocking anymore. So there's room for other things in the in the world. Right. Um, so everyone's like, can we please talk about something else? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess first, if I wanted to start with just a quick yeah. intro, who you are, what you do, um, and kind of how you found yourself where you are <laughs> in tech. Yeah. Yeah, great. So um, I am Erin Washington, co-founder of Embodied Labs, um, currently working as our director of training, education, and outreach. And um, so I've been doing Embodied Labs for the past, uh, we're, we're five plus years old at this point, which, which feels pretty amazing. Um, it's gone very fast. Um, why I got into tech. So I have background, I have two degrees in music performance and then uh, another master's degree in information science. And so I worked for about a decade, not quite a decade, in higher education um, as a librarian and library director. And um, during that, that decade, I got really interested in emerging technology to really help um, both students and faculty members accomplish their learning goals and their learning outcomes. And I also did a lot of professional development around curriculum design, instructional design, and integrating technology and emerging technologies with all of that. Um, and it just sort of became my biggest professional passion and, and interest. And so, uh, as I mentioned, Carrie Shaw, our, our CEO and founder of Embodied Labs, is my, my younger sister. And we, we always kind of saw ourselves potentially working together in, in the business world somehow at some point. Um, but when she was working on her master's in biomedical visualization, uh, at the same time, our mom was going through um, her, her journey, her progression of her young onset Alzheimer's disease. And so that was a really difficult thing for, for our family. And uh, I, I think you've You've heard Carrie and, and, and her story on, uh, with all of that, but essentially we always wondered, you know, if we could somehow crawl inside her head and experience what she was experiencing from her perspective, how would that help us be more effective at not only just providing for like her physical care, but just simply being able to have connection with her, meaningful connection. Um, as her brain was going through all these all these changes, and so Carrie had this idea, um, kind of late later in her master's degree, to use virtual reality, which at that point had kind of just progressed to the point where um, you could make really complex simulations and experiences. And the Oculus, kind of the first version of the the Oculus, was available for developers to to try out and to to play with. Uh, creation or creating 
simulations. And so she created this simulation where you could put on a headset and embody the perspective of an older adult who was living with hearing and vision loss, which wasn't quite the same as what we were really going for with creating a, a dementia experience, but it did simulate two, um, two sensory challenges and really allow people to, to put on a headset and to, to understand for at least a few minutes what it might be like to go through some of the like most common experiences that we all have, like spending time with our family or going to the doctor and getting complex information for the first time and having to process all of that through having central vision loss and, and hearing impairment. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was, that was really powerful. And when we started showing it to people, they found it really, really powerful as well. And we realized, Hey, like this, this could actually be a business that we could create. And, you know, how many more of these simulations could we create? How many perspectives could we possibly show and, and simulate and allow people to embody? And so that's how Embodied Labs was born. And um, for a while I tried to work my nine to five day job at uh, the university that I was working for at the time. And then Eventually, I <laughs> I jumped ship from there and um, and did embodied labs um, full time, um, and it's been just amazing, rewarding work to be able to um, do exactly what we set out to do, which was to create a library of experiences um, from the perspective of older adults who are living with a particular disease or condition, or from like even a subset of a vulnerable population, like we have an experience where you embody an older adult who's transgender and see some of her experiences growing up all the way to um, transitioning as an older adult. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the concept of empathy and I guess also the action of empathy is pretty inherent in what you all do there. But where do you see it mm -hmm. most in your work and kind of what role does it play? Yeah, so our work is centered around the concept of empathy. I know you talk in your book about uh, VR, the ultimate empathy machine, um, as has been circulating in the VR world since around 2016, uh, when uh, the experience Clouds Over Sidra came out and uh, became so, so widespread. So what Aaron just mentioned, Clouds Over Sidra, it's a 2015 virtual reality film about the Syrian refugee crisis. It was created by Gaba Aurora and Chris Milk in partnership with the United Nations and Samsung. Chris Milk is a director filmmaker, and he also did a TED Talk in which he called virtual reality the ultimate empathy machine. He actually later said that he didn't really mean that to be taken super literally. It seemed like a lot of people took it and ran with it and started talking about virtual reality replacing like human interaction with empathy. That's not what he meant. But anyway, you can read more about that in my book or watch his TED Talk and read some of his stuff. I recommend watching Clouds Over Sidra as well. You can find a video trailer for it online. And if you have a virtual reality headset, you can find that version as well. In many cases, it, it is true that VR is is the ultimate empathy machine. I think it matters more what you do 
after you've had that empathetic experience inside the headset. Um, I think that the goal of empathy is not just the empathy, but like, how does it change you? How does it change your actions? And that's what we really think about when we design our experiences. We, we have uh, learning and, and training goals that we start with before we even create anything that's going to go inside the headset that's saying like, okay, now that you embody the perspective of Beatrice, who's living with dementia, how has that enabled you to more meaningfully connect with someone who's even in the late, late stages of the disease? Or how does that empower you to provide better um, physical, mental, emotional support to, mm-hmm. that, to that person? So, so kind so, of that nudge to make sure that it goes beyond just the empathetic feeling. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I, I know you, um, in the introduction to your book, you, you quoted Paul Bloom. He, he says empathy is inherently selfish. I actually, I, I, I think I disagree with that because I think that if you are, if you're viewing it from the goal of like, how does this change my actions? Um, then that it's, it's actually the, the opposite of that. And, um, you can't, I think you can practice empathy and you can, um, use empathy to, um, instead of just creating an echo chamber for yourself, like I can only empathize with people whose perspectives I already somewhat agree with. I think that you, you can really, you really can do do the opposite and you can, you can experience empathy for perspectives that are very different. If you're not familiar with Paul Bloom, he's a psychologist and professor at Yale University who wrote a book called Against Empathy. His general argument against empathy or against over-reliance on empathy is that it can sometimes bring us to project feelings onto other people that aren't actually there and therefore make misinformed decisions and in some cases act even more selfishly than if we'd not relied on empathy in the first place. I asked Aaron how COVID has affected Embodied Labs and their subscribers. Their product requires not just that you put a headset on your face, but that you also share it with others. It's often an experience that happens in a room with a bunch of other people as part of a workshop or training. So a lot of users had to get creative during the pandemic, especially ones in senior living facilities and communities, which are a lot of the Embodied Labs subscribers. So what we realized is that we we had to pivot a little bit. We had to make it easier for our subscribers to be able to continue using Embodied Labs, but to be able to do it virtually. So like a lot, like we saw a lot of companies and and people doing um, is we we figured out a way to basically, we called it our, uh, our group distributed mode where a facilitator could be by themselves wearing the headset and they could share what they were seeing and hearing over video conferencing and essentially drive an immersive virtual training experience for the people watching. So that could be one person or that could be a thousand people just depending on how many are, are watching on the other end. Cool. Um, And some of the interesting data that, that we and some of our subscribers collected is that, um, it's actually uh, somewhere around 75 to 80% as effective as, uh, as the, the one-to-one 
immersive really wow yeah I didn't expect that no we didn't either um but we were excited by that because um you know extending that question how has the pandemic affected your work the pandemic of course uh heavily affected our, our subscribers work because many of our subscribers are in the aging care space many are senior living communities um and so for them being able to still use our tool for staff training at a distance um, still allowed them to get, you know, 75% ish of the way there with some of the same, same outcomes. Wow. Um, so that was really cool. That's so interesting. Cause I feel like that's something that a lot of different businesses and organizations have learned, um, you know, throughout this process, having to go virtual for the first time. But within a tech company that already is doing simulation, right? It's so interesting um, to see how that kind of simulation squared (laughs) works. Um, And I'm so, it's so great that it actually does work. Yep. Yep. It is. It's really exciting. I think that that goes well into your, your next question about a time during the pandemic where where we noticed that tech was facilitating empathy. It, it was it was exactly that. Um, and like, uh, for instance, one of our, our subscribers, Chicago Methodist Senior Services up in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, they used our distance group mode. They had a medical student from uh, Rush College of Medicine. Her name is Johanna Ballas. And she worked with, uh, with the, the staff at Chicago Methodist to um, train virtually using embodied labs and then also to facilitate additional training that they got from um, Dr. Neelam Agarwal, who's on, on faculty in the College of Medicine at Rush, and a um, essentially like almost a support group that, that went along with this training where these, these CNAs who were working in different communities uh, that are part of Chicago Methodist um, were able to talk to each other. They were able to, um, you know, think through a a resident interaction that they had and help each other problem solve how they could have done it better the next time using the concepts that they were able to learn by embodying um, two different uh, residents in um, an, an experience that we have um, around Alzheimer's disease and then another one around Lewy body dementia. Mm-hmm. And so it was a way that they were really able to connect to each other in a way that they absolutely would not have because it wouldn't have been based on around that model um, pre, pre-pandemic. So do you plan then to do more of these things that kind of surprisingly worked? Obviously, you want 100% not 75 to 80% effectiveness, but how do you see that going forward? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I think that, that with, for us and for other companies who have had to make similar pivots, that the model is, is here to stay. And I think that's only, only a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can do, do a training that gets people, you know, 75% of the way there, you can still get people into the headset as, as you have time for it, as it works with, with your training mod or uh, model. 
there is some sort of light at the end of the tunnel with this thing when we'll, we'll be able to get back to doing things um, the, the way that we used to. And we're already figuring out how to do that safely. And so I think getting back people back into the headset for the one-to-one experience is very important. Um, we've definitely heard from many of our subscribers that that there is something very special about that that one-to-one experience. And what they see is that people who have who have worn the headset and been able to embody the experience themselves, they really um, become leaders uh, among their colleagues and really kind of the cheerleaders of reminding people about whatever concept that they that they learned from embodying someone living with dementia or hearing and vision loss or um, or you know transitioning into a senior living community for the first time or living with social isolation um, they really become become leaders and so there is something special about wearing the headset we don't want to just say like oh 75 percent is good enough let's let's not worry about that but i think that we we people can be very smart and efficient about the way they deploy immersive training mm-hmm. in their particular context when you were talking about you know the importance of going beyond the feeling of empathy and how this kind of work does inspire people to action, just like some concrete examples of what that looks like. And so you kind of just started talking about that, but um, can you go into a little more detail about like, you know, what happens when a medical student, for example, or someone who's working with long-term care um, with people in long-term care does one of these experiences, how do you actually see that, that transformation or that bridge from, simulation to action yeah so uh i can think of another one of our our subscribers again this is a this is a senior living example but what they observed is after the majority of their staff had trained with embodied labs there was a decrease in for lack of a better word like incidents between staff and residents so like people living with dementia will often have um, hallucinations they might like see someone that's not there or they'll see they'll see a person um, maybe a staff member and they'll think that there's someone else Um, these are just part of the changes that happen in in your brain when you're living with dementia Mm -hmm. or um, there's a, a term that the people in aging care know called called sundowning. But when you're living with dementia, often around like the late afternoon, you experience more of that kind of thing. And so, in a couple different modules, in one you're hearing noises kind of amplified. You are seeing your daughter who's coming into the room, but you don't see her as your daughter. Um, and then there's another one in our um, in our lab that's more focused on Lewy body dementia, where um, you see you see people from your past in the room when there's actually nobody there, mm-hmm. but to you, they're very very real. And so people do these these particular modules, and they're like, "Whoa! Like I have learned about this." from a book i've seen the powerpoint lecture or gone through the training module in in our you know our training software but this really shows me what it is like to 
to be inside the brain of a person who is experiencing this. And so then what it, what it does is when they go back to caring for that person or giving care support to that person until you've really put on the headset and understood that it just gives you a deeper, it's like even beyond empathy to maybe the concept of like, uh, insight or perspective taking, like you, you have been there. And so you can actually understand that person's reality. Mm-hmm. And it really does lead to you being able to interact with that person in ways that are good for them. And also like good for you. If you're, if you're a staff member doing this important care like that can be a very emotionally draining experience mm-hmm. so it it allows you to be able to uh, have um, proactive and productive empathy I love how you're able to quantify that also so okay I um, will let you go in a minute but I want to ask you more generally based on your work and just your experiences in life, um, how you feel about the future of feeling. So sort of like the future of empathy in our world. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I think as tech becomes more ubiquitous, I think that it's our job as people who are working in the tech world to make sure that that we are creating tech that, that fosters empathy rather than um, leads to the decline of it. And there's, there's no uh, substitute for human interaction and connection. So if technology is substituting for human, human connection, then that's that's not good, and that I think that can lead to the decline of empathy. However, um, with with what we do, what we're doing is using technology to amplify the ability for humans to connect when they are together. For our particular context, it's older adults and people who are part of their care team or um, who are giving them care support. Um, but like the goal isn't to do the VR experience. The goal is to have this experience, not only like imagine what it's like to be inside someone's head, but actually get inside their head. And there's a ton of, um, there's a ton more data that shows that when you have an experience where you feel truly immersed as somebody, you're actually recording memories inside your brain as if you are that person. Mm. Right. So, and then that's, I think that's the strongest way that we can use virtual reality, at least with respect to, to empathy. Um, so I'm excited about a future where we can have more of that, um, and where technology can, can amplify real human connection, not replace it. Yeah. That's so powerful. And that's such an important distinction. I also want to say that what you talked about when when thinking about creating these things, having that empathy in that part of the process within, you know, internally, uh, I think is so important as well. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's all about what happens internally, and then how that how that changes you in in real life when you interact with 
real humans that you you love and, and care for. Mm-hmm. Okay, so leave us with either a little bit of hope, which I think you just did a little bit, um, or a warning on the subject of empathy in tech. And I guess maybe this is your chance to talk to fellow developers um, if you wish to do that. You know, like I said, we're, we're actually creating opportunities for humans to record memory that are stored in their brain, just like things that happen to them in a non immersive, like in the, in the, the quote, real world. Um, and, and that's really powerful. So it's really important um, for developers to be able to um, create experiences that are taking into account the, uh, the beautiful diversity that we see in the world um, and all of, all of these diverse per- perspectives. Um, and that's what excites me about more, more people um, doing some of the, the similar work that, that we do because we've, we've produced this immersive li- library of experiences, but it's still like it's one experience, it's one person's perspective um, you know, like thinking about our experience where you body a transgender older adult, um, you know, that, that experience, you're embodying someone with a particular perspective, a particular race and ethnicity, um, and, and it's, it's one story, but there's like probably thousands of versions of that same story that you could tell from thousands of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's exciting, but it can also be like really overwhelming yeah. um, as a as a developer, and it should be. It should be overwhelming. We should be respecting the the power of that that we have in what we create. Yeah, I like that. Awesome. Well, this was an amazing first interview in this new series. So I really appreciate you um, taking the time to join us, and yeah. I'll definitely be following. Thanks, be following what you're doing. Where can people find the work of Embodied Labs? You can visit our website at embodiedlabs.com. All right. Perfect. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the Future of Feeling podcast. Right now, this is a limited series podcast. I've got eight episodes lined up for you, and they'll drop throughout the upcoming fall and winter. But I'd love to keep it going. You can help by following the show and rating it here on Spotify and sharing it with a friend or two. If you want to send feedback, ask questions, or send guest suggestions, head to CaitlinUgalik.com. That's K-A-I-T-L-I-N-U-G-O-L-I-K.com. And you can click the email me button that you find there. Thanks again. Talk soon.